This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Good evening, good evening, good evening, my friends. And welcome to a special episode of Terror Radio Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, then welcome. This is a podcast dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and thriller old-time radio broadcast, as well as original stories. I am your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, and we are celebrating Friday the 13th. That's all I need to say. (laughs) So, without further ado, this is Terror Radio. I will be featuring four radio series for you tonight because I'm just that type of guy. <laughs> we will be starting with a little gem called Origin, the Origin of Superstition. And this was a 1935 series of short stories that focused on popular superstitions. Obviously, today's episode will be Friday the 13th which was first broadcasted on Friday the 13th, 1935. Following that is Suspense, and the radio play will be Friday. And this was first broadcasted on February 4th, 1962. After that is The Witch's Tale, and the radio play is The Devil's Number, which was first broadcasted on January 13th, 1938 and we will conclude with Lights Out Death Robbery starring the great Boris Karloff and this was first broadcasted on July 16th 1947 so you all know the drill sit back turn down the lights and listen to the tales of Friday the 13th. Enjoy. Superstition on the air. Gentlemen, it is our pleasure to offer you another short, short story 
in a series designed to disclose the origins of superstition. This one deals with the belief that Friday the 13th is an unlucky day. Henry, aren't you ready yet? Your breakfast will get cold. Hurry now. I'll be with you in a minute, Doris. Oh, every time you have a day off, Henry, it takes hours before I can get the housework started, and it upsets Oh, darling, my... I'm sorry. But you know, I only have a day off once every two weeks. Well, do I get those nice hot biscuits for breakfast? Yes, dear. Here, read the morning paper while I get them out of the oven. All right, honey, but make it snappy. I've got to meet Bill out at the club for a game of golf. Here are the biscuits and your ham and eggs. Now eat them before they get... Great, Scott. Can you beat that? What's the matter, Henry? Do you know what day this is? No. It's Friday the 13th. Well, what's wrong with that, dear? What's wrong? Why, it's unlucky. Uh, now I bet everything will go haywire today. I know I'll have some bad luck. Oh, why, darling, just because it's Friday the 13th, it's no different from any other day. Oh, yes, it is. I look at the disasters that happened on that day in England, right here in our own country. Oh, but, darling, those things would have taken place anyway, regardless of the day. Just as the incident that was responsible for starting that belief would have occurred whether it had been Friday the 13th or not. So don't be superstitious. Superstitious? Why, Doris, you know I'm not superstitious. But I'll bet Friday the 13th has been a jinx to mankind since the creation of the world. Oh, no, Henry. You're wrong. That superstition began much later than that. It was after the passion and crucifixion of the Christ that the superstition of that day and number became universally feared as an omen of evil. You mean they didn't regard Friday the 13th as unlucky before that time? No. Oh, true, the belief of lucky and unlucky days and numbers had begun with the old Chaldeans and Egyptians. But the actual superstition of Friday the 13th did not begin until after the crucifixion. For people believe that because 13 sat down to the Last Supper, Jesus Christ was betrayed and crucified the following day which was Friday the 13th of Nisan by the Jewish calendar. Which only proves that Friday the 13th was unlucky, Doris. No, Henry. But don't you remember in the Bible that before the feast of the Passover, Judas had gone into the city of Jerusalem and had bargained with the priests who hated the Christ because he was hailed by the people as a prophet? And they agreed to pay Judas 30 pieces of silver if he would deliver the Christ to them when he was away from the multitudes. After the Last Supper, Judas left Jesus and his disciples and went to the temple where the priests were excitedly discussing the growing power of the Christ and... Silence, my brethren. Silence. We must do away with this man, Jesus of Nazareth. For each day, his power grows and he gains more followers. Yea, Caiaphas, only the other day the people did hail him as the son of David. Tis blasphemy. Tis sacrilege. He is an imposter. Let us take him. Nay, we cannot seize him while he's amongst the people who love him and call him master. But Caiaphas, what of this Judas Iscariot to whom we paid 30 pieces of silver? He promised to deliver this Jesus of Nazareth unto us. Yea, Joshua. But we must have patience. For I did caution him to wait until the time that his master would be alone so as not to cause a tumult among the people. Aephus, Aephus, Judas Iscariot is here. He would speak with thee. 
Bring him before me at once. Now, my brethren, perhaps this Judas brings the news we are waiting for. Greetings, Judas Iscariot. Hath thou brought good tidings unto us? Yea, Caiaphas. Tonight as we sat at supper, I learned that the master doth go into the garden of Gethsemane this night to pray there alone. Now is the time to take him. At last. But, Judas, how will the soldiers know thy master? I will go with them and greet the master with a kiss. By that sign they will know him. Tis well spoken, Judas. Verily thou art the true savior of Israel. Now thou must go with the soldiers to seize this Jesus of Nazareth before he suspects that something may be amiss by thy absence and elude us. Nay, Caiaphas, the master doth know I will betray him. What? Meanest thou hast allowed him to suspect thee? Nay, but at supper tonight he did prophesy that one of his disciples would betray him. And when we all asked who it was, he said softly unto me, What thou doest, do quickly. And did the others know t'was thou who would betray him, Judas? Nay, for he whispered unto me. And when I left, the disciples thought that I did go on an errand for the master. Oh, then we must act quickly, for verily this man is empowered by the prince of darkness. Elias, take Judas to the soldiers. Now so that they may go at once to seize his master. Yea, Caiaphas, come with me, Judas. But Caiaphas, dost thou not fear that the people will cause a tumult when they learn that their master hath been taken? We must prevent that, Joshua. But how, Caiaphas? Thou and the other priests must stir up the people to lust for his blood. Tis easy to sway the emotions of a mob if ye work cleverly and carefully. Ah, thou art wise, Caiaphas. We must act quickly, Joshua, and crucify this man before another sun sets. Otherwise, twill be too late, for the holy Sabbath begins then. Thou art right, Caiaphas. We can do nothing on the holy Sabbath. Twould be a sacrilege. Nay, Joshua, but we must not fail. Tomorrow, Friday the 13th of Nisan, we will have crucified this Jesus of Nazareth upon the Mount of Golgotha, the place of the skull. Joshua, why should this Jesus of Nazareth be dying now upon the cross when he hath done nothing? Thou art a Roman, Lucius, and thou dost not understand. This man hath called himself the King of the Jews and the Son of God. Tis blasphemy. But, Joshua, I have heard that he hath performed many wonders 
and done much good among the people. Ah, Lucius, he did say he would destroy the temple and rebuild it again in three days. And now thou seest, he cannot even save himself. But behold, Joshua, his followers at the foot of the cross, how they love him and weep at his travail. He trusted in God, Lucius. Let God deliver him now, if he will have him. For did he not say, I am the son of God? But see, he dies instead. Yea, verily. Oh, how darkly overcast is the sky, Joshua. And each hour it doth grow more black. Yea, Lucius, and the evening hath not yet come. But look at Jesus of Nazareth. He is dead now. For the soldier hath pierced his side with a spear. Behold, Joshua, the rocks are rent asunder. The earth doth tremble and the skies roar with a mighty wrath. Truly, this man was the son of God. Verily, Lucius, I cannot understand. See the people, how they cry out with fear and beat their breasts. Alas, Joshua, this day, Friday the 13th, will go down in the records of time as a day of ill omen. For verily, we have crucified the Son of God. And so, after the crucifixion of the Christ, the people believe that Friday the 13th was a day of ill omen. But as you know, Henry, the day itself had nothing to do with it. Well, you're wrong, Doris. After all, it was an unlucky day. The people turned against the Christ and crucified him, didn't they? Oh, but Henry, don't you understand that the Christ was destined to be crucified, regardless of whether it was Friday the 13th or any other day? Yeah, but hmm, someone's at the door. Oh. I'll see who it is, honey. Telegram, sir. Will you sign here, please? Okay, thanks. Great Scott. What is it, dear? A telegram from your mother. Listen to this. Barbara, Myrtle, and I coming for a visit. Arriving on the 245. Have Henry meet us at station. Lovingly, Mother. Oh, Mother's coming. Isn't that marvelous, dear? Yeah, great. The last time your mother visited us, she stayed six months. Now she's bringing the whole family, and she'll probably stay a year. And you tried to tell me Friday the 13th isn't an unlucky day. Bah! And so, ladies and gentlemen, after receiving that telegram, no one will be able to convince Henry that Friday the 13th is anything but an unlucky day. Well, au revoir and good luck to you.
And now, a tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. Friday the 13th, unlucky, nonsense. Rank superstition, that's all. Listen now to Act One of Friday, starring Ivor Francis, and written especially for suspense by Jonathan Bundy. Look at it down there. Most beautiful little harbor this side of Clovelly and Plymouth O. And so peaceful and quiet down there now, you'd hardly believe that a few years ago we had us one of the busiest ports on all the coast of England. A high deal of trade went in and out of this port in those days, sometimes three and four ships a week. There was always them as laid over, too, and the hopes of picking up a cargo, unexpected, and fishing boats, a plenty of them. But mostly it was trade. Ships and sailing men from all the four corners of the earth. And I was part of it. A few years ago, did I say? Ah, uh, well, I guess to be more exact, it was more like uh, 40 years ago. Long time for men. Shipping agent, I was. Not a single piece of pottery or sack of grain or bale of goods that didn't go through these hands of mine. Aye, or, or through our hands, that is. You see, I had me a partner, Philip Morley, by name. Fine young chap he was, too. Why, in, in seven or eight years, he knew most as much about that business as I did. There we are, Beckham. We're all ready for the Laurenta now. I've made all the arrangements, and she can start taking on cargo first thing in the morning. Fine, Philip, my boy. Excellent. But I'd say it's about time now, wouldn't you? Why a master like Captain Cunningham should have had such trouble filling out a crew, I never understand. Something about the sailing date, he said. Oh? Well, I don't see why. Well, now, I shall be off to London to arrange the insurance for her. Some superstition it was. Eh? That superstition? Yes, sir. Bah! Tommy Rot. And Philip, you know that as well as I do. Of course, the men behind the master, superstitious, most of them, and omens and things and black cats across the deck. <laughs> aye, aye, I'm carrying a hare's foot for luck, too. All right, all right. They're, they're kind of simple and amusing, and they're harmless. But this, well, if you ask me, me lad, it's carrying things just a bit too far. It's ridiculous. Well, isn't it, lad? Well, of course, there was the Bristol Queen, Ah, oh, the Bristol Queen and a hundred others that left for the open sea on all days of the week. Well, I know, sir, No, but... no, no, Philip, it's all foolishness. Foolish superstition and nothing else. And don't you ever believe otherwise. So I drove me up to London Town, the big insurance exchange... Biggest in the world it was, with more than two score brokers sitting around their tables and all in touch with what was going on by the means of that marvellous invention, the telegraph. And I talked with my old friend, Mr. Edward Etherington, who handled all my problems back those 40 years ago. Ah, 
here we are now, Mr. Beckham. A quill and plenty of ink. Good. <laughs> now, you say the vessel is named the Laurenta. Aye, Mr. Edrington, the Laurenta. One of the finest ships ever put to sea, sir. Oh, yes. I believe I recall having insured her once before mm, on a sailing out of Southampton. No doubt you have, sir. Still under Captain Halsey Cunningham? Yes, sir, the same. Good. Now the value of the cargo, Mr. Beckham? Fifteen thousand pounds. Oh, fifteen thousand, eh? Aye, sir. We're loading there with finished woolen goods to be carried to the port of Philadelphia in America. Good. It's surprising how much the trade of that young country has increased recently. Ah, it is. Yes, especially with so much political strife between its north and south. Ah, but Mr. Etherington, I confidentially predict that one day the international trade with America will be second only to the trade with England. Oh, yes, perhaps so. Now, uh, you wish uh, full coverage? Full coverage, sir. Very well. Fifteen thousand pounds in finished woolens. Aye. And the destination is the port of... uh, Oh, by the way, Beckham, have you set the sailing date? That I have, Mr. Etherington. And uh, what is it, please? April the 21st. Uh, Let me see now. That would be... Now, need to look, sir. That'll be Friday after the next Friday week. Ah, yes, I... Friday? On a Friday? That it is. Oh, no... Then I'm sorry, I'm very sorry. Eh? Now, what's the matter with that? I trust you aren't jesting, Mr. Beckham. Jesting? Hardly. You mean you don't know? I certainly don't. Well, then I'll tell you what's the matter with it. It... No, 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 wait, listen. Now, you listen to me, Mr. Edrington. I want... Listen! Gentlemen, I have a dispatch of great importance. The six-masted schooner Tremaine, long overdue at the port of Southampton. She is now known to have been completely wrecked in a severe storm off Basel Reef. All hands, all cargo, lost. There's your answer, Mr. Beckham. Oh, it is, eh? Aye, because the Tremaine left her last port of call most ill-advisedly, sir. Left her port of call... On a Friday. Well, now, don't be absurd, Mr. Ratherington. Surely you don't think her sailing on a Friday had anything to do with this? Think, man. I know it did. And so do all the rest of the gentlemen here in the exchange. Now, nonsense. Is it? Then what of the Klemper Hall that foundered in a hurricane off the coast of South America? But that was in... She do- sailed on a Friday, too. I know that. And, and the Marley Cay that perished off the coast no, of no, Africa. No, look, wait a minute. I'm yeah. And the Capricano off the Azores. And the Dorset. Don't you see? The Lee Cambria, the Plymouth Flyer. You name them, there have been dozens of them. All of them sailed on a Friday, Beckham. And they're all at the bottom of the sea. And do you mean to tell me, Mr. Rutherington, that you... Or any other supposedly intelligent person. I tell you, Beckham, there is an unholy curse on Friday sailing. Ah, come on now. Well, ask the sailors. They know it. And most of them, those that have their wits about them, wouldn't sign on for a Friday clearance if their very lives depended on it. Rubbish. Most of the masters of our shipping fleet know it too. But I, I, I suppose you didn't mention a possible Friday sailing to the men of the Laurenta. Of course I did. And they all agreed to it? Yes, every one of them. Well, uh, all but a stupid young midshipman who was easy enough replaced, and one of the galley boys. Well, does that answer your question? No. No. Can't you understand, sir? Can't you see the disaster you're courting by letting that ship go out on a Friday? No, I cannot. 
Believe me, sir, I've never heard anything so completely silly in all my life. Silly? Yes, yes, utterly ridiculous. Well, that is not the way the Admiralty feels about it, Beckham. The Admiralty? Aye. And you can mark my words, sir. Before this twelve month is over, there'll be an edict against Friday sailings. A royal edict. Ah, Tommy Rot. Now fix up these air papers so I can have my coverage for the Laurenta. Well, will you do it? No, Beckham, not I. Now, you look here. Not I... unless you change that date. Very well. Then I shall have to take my business to someone else. I'm sorry. Not only now, but hereafter. That is up to you. But you mark my word, Edward Everington. The Laranta will sail on a Friday, and she'll be living proof of what a fool you've just made of yourself. <laughs> And so it was that I betook myself across the room to another of the insurance men, a younger man, intelligent-looking chap who I was certain would uh, be above any such childish superstition. Oh, yes, sir. Beckham's my name, Henry Beckham. What? Oh, yes, yes, of course, Mr. Beckham. I've seen you here many times. My name is Archcroft, sir. Mr. Archcroft? Won't you sit down, please, sir? Thank you. Uh, rather a regular client of Mr. Edward Etherington, aren't you? Let us say, rather, I was. Mm. Was? I, but no longer. It may surprise you, after all these years of my dealing with Mr. Etherington, but I've now decided to let one of you other gentlemen handle my insurance business. Why, of course, Mr. Beckham. And I give you my word that you'll never regret it. It will be an honor and a privilege to serve as your account, sir. Thank you. And is there anything that I can do for you here and now? There is, today? Mr. Ratscroft, there is. Oh. I need insurance on a cargo and vessel that's sailing to America shortly. Oh, fine, sir. And what is the name of the carrier? The Laurenta. Oh, yes, yes. Good ship, sir. Yes. Uh, Captain Halsey Cunningham, I believe. That's right. Mm -hmm. And the cargo, sir? 15,000 pounds worth of finished woolens. 15,000 pounds in... Oh, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. There we are. And the sailing date, sir? Friday, April... Fri Friday, sir. That's right. I'm sorry, sir. But I cannot handle it. You... Now, look here, young man. Unless, I of course, you change that date. Don't you see, Mr. Beckham? I see oh, nothing. Oh. Silly, ridiculous superstition. That's all it is. I'll go elsewhere. Friday? Oh, no, you can't mean it, Mr. Beckham. I certainly do. Friday the 21st. And I'm sorry, but the answer is no. I'm sorry, Mr. Beckham. Friday? Sailing on a Friday, did you say? That's exactly what I said. Oh, then I'm sorry, Mr. Beckham. Now, just a minute, you. Just a minute. Friday? No, sir, I wouldn't think of it. Oh, you wouldn't. Now, get someone else, if you can. Sorry, not I. Not for a Friday, sailing. Oh, sir. Superstition, It's all nothing but a superstition. Sheer, stupid superstition. By heaven, I'll show him. I'll show him if it kills me. Hard-headed businessmen, they call themselves. But because of his nonsensical belief in a curse on Friday sailings, they turned me down. Well, then, I'll tell you what I did. 
And I don't deny that by the time I got back here from London, back to all the old familiar things that have been so close to me so many years, well, I don't deny that more than once my determination began to waver a bit, as you might say. <laughs> but ahead I went with my plan. Beckham, what are you up to, man? Philip, my friend, I'm selling out. I don't understand. I'm selling out to you, to you, Philip. Well, what on earth for? Well, you've done well for Beckham and Morley. You've done well for yourself. That means you've saved enough to buy me out. Yeah, I've seen that. And so I'm selling out to you. But why? Because I have need of cash, a lot of cash. Well, has something gone... No, 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 boy. Nothing's gone wrong. But if you'll buy me out, it'll give me what I need to finance the building of a ship. A ship? Yeah, to prove once and for all the absurdness of this Friday sailing superstition. Huh. And anything else of the sort that's connected with Friday. Once and for all. Oh. Oh, I see. So, if I can have your check, Philip, I'll make arrangements with Mr. McBaskin, the shipbuilder, on, uh, say, uh, the day after tomorrow. The day... That's Friday. That's right. Friday. As ever was. Ah, yes. Yes, excellent, Mr. McBaskin. And now then, build her as exactly as you've sketched her and she'll be exactly what I want. Very well. And if I understand you correctly, Mr. Beckham, you'd like me to begin construction right away. Just as soon as possible, provided that you, you keep the schedule we discussed. Yes, of course, the schedule. Well, that means we can start a week from today. So if you'll affix your signature to this contract and the date. Right here, please. Aye. Henry J. Beckham. And the date, please. Right. Friday, April the 28th. And so it was. We'd made the contract on Friday, April the 28th. On Friday, May the 5th, began the building of the ship. My ship. <laughs> and true to his word, Malcolm McBaskin tended himself to every detail, and like myself, made certain there was no deviation, not by a single day, from the schedule that we had set. The date for laying of the keel was a Friday, and it was met. The frames were begun, the ribs and plating, and the deck structure, the caulking, the finishing, the painting... Every single step in her construction was begun on a Friday. <laughs> and so it went on through May and June, July, August and September. And then finally, on a beautiful morning at the end of September... Oh, she's a beauty, all right. Just wait until they get the canvas on her. That won't be until after this launching. I understand Beckham has done all this by himself. Certainly hope she finds his point. Hey, here's the pretty girl up there with me. Right now, they're getting ready. Wait now. All, all ready now, my dear? Yes, I, I guess so, Uncle Henry. Very well, then. Now, hold the bottle tightly... And don't worry, when it breaks, the wrapping will keep it from hurting you, you see? So, so strike it with all your might. But won't it, won't it splash all over my nasty dress that you got for me? Oh, well, I'll buy you a dozen more, my dear. All prettier than this one. Now then, all ready now? All ready, I guess. Good. Then speak up loud and clear. Go on, dear. Just the way I told you to. Um, uh... Long may you say... Oh, yes, yes. 
Long may you sail the seven seas, good ship. That's right, that's right. And, and, and long? And long may you prosper, each cargo, each cargo richer than the last. And may you serve to show to all mankind that the only truth is truth itself. I still don't understand what that means, Uncle Henry. You're doing fine, my dear. Now go right ahead, go right ahead. And now this day... Oh, all right. And now this day, the 22nd day of September, a Friday... That's right. Go on. I christen thee to be known hereever after as the good ship Friday. <laughs> she was. My ship the Friday, sliding down the ways, gliding as graceful as a swan, into the waters that would caress her for the rest of her natural life. And then, as she sat there bobbing gently on the tide, I knew I was right. That I now can prove I was right. As soon as she was fitted with her canvas, a matter now of only days, but one thing would remain. Aye, aye, the fitting climax to my plan. The fitting final proof. In just a moment, the concluding act of... Suspense. You know, there's a lot of talk, sensible talk, about driving carefully... But there are times when you shouldn't drive at all. Don't drive when you're drowsy. Go off the road and rest for a little while. Don't drive when you're angry or upset. People are apt to take out their anger on the car and cause a serious accident. And never drive if you've been drinking. Obeying these don'ts may save your life or someone else's. My ship, in order to fulfill its destiny, required not only the best of crews, from first mate to cabin boy, but the finest master I could find. A master truly worthy of her, and who would also meet my, yes, I'll admit it, my rather unusual requirements. And when I did find him, I knew that he was the man. And let me assure you again, Mr. Beckham, I deem it a privilege to take the command of this fine ship of yours. And I was certainly would feel that way about it, Captain. Now, as for the sailing date, to begin a maiden voyage. Any time you say, Mr. Beckham. Immediately, if you like. Immediately? Aren't you forgetting the schedule? Oh, of course, of course, of course. And always remember this, Captain. Uh, aye, sir, aye, sir. I selected you to be the master of my ship because of your excellent record and reputation. Yes. Thank you, sir. Thank you. But also, and more important, Captain, to prove once and for all the utter fallaciousness of that absurd superstition. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, you must understand that, Captain. You I must see. understand I that, how important that is to me. I do. You I do. must understand that that is my only reason for having undertaken all this uh, and for having selected only you. And I do understand, Mr. Beckham. I do understand. I'm glad you do. I'm glad you do, Captain Friday. <laughs> Finally, then, the day. And, and there she was. My fine new ship, the Friday. Conceived on a Friday, 
built on a pattern of Fridays, christened and launched on a Friday, under the command of Captain Friday. By the day, Friday, October the 13th, under a clear blue sky, proud in a new paint and polished brass and billowing canvas, with flags and pennants flying, the good ship Friday, under Captain Friday, sailed out of the harbour on a maiden voyage and sailed on a Friday. <laughs> Thousands of people who'd heard of her and what she meant. Thousands thronged the piers to wish her boyne voyage and cheer her on her way, to wish her Godspeed. Bells rang and whistles blew in her honour. In my honour, for here at last was living proof, proof beyond the shadow of a doubt, that the silly, ridiculous, childish superstition about Friday being unlucky was indeed a superstition and nothing else. I'd stake my everything on her, all my money, yes, almost my soul. And now, before the doubters, before the world, I'd prove that I was right. I'd won. I'd won. Except for one thing. The ship was never heard of again. I. The ship was never heard of again. Suspense. You've been listening to Friday, starring Ivor Francis, and written especially for Suspense by Jonathan Bundy. Suspense is produced and directed by Bruno Zerato Jr. Music supervision by Ethel Huber. Featured in tonight's story were William Redfield as Morley, Robert Dryden as Etherington, Mercer McLeod as Captain Friday, Lawson Zerby as Archcroft, and Hetty Galen as the girl. Also in our cast were Bill Lipton, Herb Duncan, and Dave Gilbert. We'd like to take this opportunity to thank Radio TV Daily and the more than 400 radio and TV critics and columnists who just voted Suspense, the dramatic show of the year, on radio. Listen again next week when we return with The Man Who Went Back to Save Lincoln, another tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. Heavenly Days, it's Richard Hayes, Monday through Fridays on the CBS Radio Network. Satan, her wise black cat. They're waiting. 
waiting for you now. Thirteen is the devil's number. 
because he was the chief of each convene of witches and wizards, which always numbered 12 in addition to himself. Now, you've been holding out on us, Bert. We never dreamed that you were an authority on folklore. Oh, dear me, I'm not. I'm only the merest dabbler. But it is an interesting subject, don't you think? Most interesting, particularly for today. Would you like to see a concrete example of the 13 superstition? A concrete example? Yes. But first, you must assure me that you're not at all squeamish. <laughs> not I. Then come this way. Oh, Peters. Peters? Yes, sir. Fetch me a lamp or a lantern, will you? Yes, sir. Now, I'm taking you to the unused portion of the house. Uh, are you sure you won't mind looking at human bones, Mrs. Oliver? Human bones? Very old ones. They've been in the house for nearly three centuries. You keep bones in the house? Well, they belong to an ancestor of mine. He was such a wicked old chap, the church wouldn't permit his remains to be buried in consecrated ground, so we had to find a resting place for them somewhere. Besides, he wanted them to be here. Here's a lantern, sir. Oh, thank you, Peters. You're, you're going into the old part, sir? That's where we're headed. Not to, towards the north tower, sir. Yes, to the crypt of old Eric. Oh, please don't go in there, sir. Uh, not tonight, uh, Mr. Rockwell. <laughs> the old wizard starts any trouble, Peters. We'll shout and let uh, you know. But, Mr. Rockwell... Come along, you two who want to learn about superstition. Uh, Mr. Rockwell, wait. Wait. Take this. Oh, must I carry that prodigious weapon with me? You've promised me you always will when you go in there, sir. Please. Oh, very well. I'll take it. Now, come on. Open the door. Yes, sir. Give me your hand, dear. It's pretty dark in here. Yes. I'll leave the door open, sir, and stand here waiting, if you need me. All right, Peters. Your butler doesn't approve of this expedition, apparently. No, he doesn't like the North Tower and old Eric. Why did he insist you carry that huge revolver? Well, he always does when I visit the old part. He has it loaded with dum-dum bullets. Dum-dum? Yes, they're ordinary lead or steel-jacketed bullets crisscrossed with a knife across the nose to make them spread on impact. Someday I shall tell him that only silver bullets are of any use against ghosts. Ghosts? Or disciples of witchcraft. Now, what on earth are you taking us to see? Nearly some old bones. Uh, watch your step. The floor's on very sound in here. There's no rubbish to fall over. Now, you're working up to some sort of a practical joke leading us into this darkness. Oh, upon my word, I'm not. No, 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 really. Although I do owe your wife some retaliation for having made me walk under ladders and break mirrors. I've never been in such a spooky place. Nor I. These old halls beat any haunted castle I've ever read about in books. The shadows cast upon them by Mr. Rockwell's rubber lantern have given me the shivers. Me too. You're getting your revenge for Judith's superstition party, Bert. <laughs> but tell us about this ancestor of yours whose bones we're going to see. Uh, wait till we reach his resting place. Tell will be more effective then. Ah, here we are. Now, his remains are enclosed in that little iron chest. In the kitchen that wall? Yes. I'll open his tiny coffin. Oh. Here, you see all that is still earthly of Eric Rockwell, my many times great-grandfather who was burnt at the stake by order of King James I for witchcraft. Burnt at the stake? For witchcraft, yes. Members of the family bribed the official executioners and were allowed to reclaim these bones from the ashes. They sifted so diligently that only the bones of a single foot escaped their pious search. Otherwise, the skeleton of the old scoundrel lies intact within this iron box. Why do you keep them here? Well, I've already explained that the church refused to allocate hallowed ground for his remnants. That Eric's bones were not consumed together with his flesh 
was considered extremely unfortunate at the time, for it was commonly believed that they would enable him to live again. People believe such rot as that? People still believe it. Oh, wait till you hear all the story. Gather round me, my children, and listen. The old gentleman whose skull and assorted bones lie before us in these pretty shadows had great supernatural power. According to incontestable records, he was born in the year of 1514. He was executed in 1623. When he was over a hundred years old. When he was a hundred and nine years old. But when he was led to the stake, he didn't look a day over 40. Bert, are you making all this up? Not a word of it. However, let's hear the rest of Eric's history. At his trial, it was proven that he'd murdered no less than eight young girls. He'd murdered? Yes, for their blood, which he used as ingredients for a rejuvenating elixir, which enabled him to defy old age. Well, that's crazy. I know it is, but according to the records, it worked. But how? Well, that the judges didn't learn. Uh, they learned he had lured young women to this house so that they might later become his victims, however. It seems he, in some way, managed to secure 13 drops of their blood, after which they became his slaves and did whatever he wished. 13 drops of blood? The devil's number. The number which makes people fear this day, even in a so-called enlightened age. After Eric had secured that small amount of blood, the girl would become his creature. Then he would drain her arteries at leisure in his laboratory, which still exists as he left it. As a matter of fact, the old villain was probably merely a first-class hypnotist with a wide sadistic streak. But he makes a good story for Friday the 13th, doesn't he? Yes. But why do you keep his awful bones in your home? A matter of tradition. We Britons are governed always by that, you know. Uh, the old boy is said to have remarked before his death that if his bones weren't collected and kept in Rockwell Manor, and that if his laboratory and implements weren't preserved intact that the house would be destroyed. The foolish believed that he had a purpose in that command, some idea of resurrecting himself from the dead. Mad story, isn't it? Yeah. Now close that ghastly chest and let's go back to where it's light. I'm for that. I brought you here for a ghostly thrill. I've given myself the shivers. Don't close the chest yet. Hold that lantern so I can look. Judith, I never knew before that you possessed a morbid streak. I didn't either. But those bones... That grinning skull, they fascinate me. You're bearing out the legend, Mrs. Oliver. Old Eric was noted for fascinating women. But I'll close the chest now, if you don't mind. And we'll go back. Yes, dear. I'm ready for another glass of burst brandy. Wait. Wait, please. Let me close the chest. If you wish. Oh. Dear. But what's wrong? Oh. I cut my finger on that rusty iron. Hey, hold that lantern here, Bert. Oh, I see your, your finger's bleeding. Hey, I'll bind it with my handkerchief. Don't bother. It's just a scratch. Good uh, oh, Lord. What's the matter? Her blood has fallen on that skull. Well, why should that? Count those drops, Harry. I make 13. The devil's number. 13 drops of blood on the wizard's skull. <laughs>
Honestly, Harry, if we hadn't known Mr. Rockwell for so long as the steadiest sort of person, I'd think he's a little mad. Quiet, dear. His room's next to ours. He might hear you. He certainly became upset about that blood, didn't he? His face was whiter than a sheep when we came out of that darkness into the lighted hall. And so was his butler's when you heard what had happened. It was strange, though, that you should cut your finger and that just 13 drops of blood should fall upon those bones after what Bert had told us. Yes. There were just 13 drops. Exactly. I counted them. They all fell on top of the skull, and it absorbed them like blotting paper. Coincidence, wasn't it? Yes. If there was any superstition in my makeup, I'd have been more shaky about it than Bert. Why? <laughs> Would you think my blood could restore the old wizard to life? Oh, that's ridiculous. Why did you want to close that closet, Judith? I don't know. Just a mood, I guess. Well, I'm tired. Let's go to bed. All right. I'd better remove the handkerchief you bound around my finger and wash it thoroughly before I take off my dress. I don't want blood stains on this new gown. No, I'll put some iodine on that cut. Harry. Huh? This is funny. What? There's no blood on either my finger or the handkerchief. No? Yet the cut was bleeding profusely when you bound it. Let's see. Look. That is funny. The wound seems to have closed after... after those 13 drops. Evidently. Another coincidence, isn't it? The... Well, the cut's a tiny one. It's not remarkable that so little blood flowed from it. Harry, there's still another coincidence that I haven't mentioned to you. What do you mean? When... when I reached out to close the lid of that chest, it... it fell upon my hand before I touched it. Before you touched it? Yes, it... It seemed to leap at me. Now, look here, Judith. You're not letting Rockwell's story of that old sawdust affect your good sense. You're not beginning to believe there's anything supernatural between this trifling accident. No, no, of course not. I'll take off my dress and we'll go to bed. We'd better. Bert's servants will be calling us for breakfast at seven. Look out this window. The farmers are still keeping their bonfires to drive the evil things away. Yeah, the idiots... For hundreds of years, they've believed the powers of hell are strong on this day of the devil's number. Dear, what's the matter with you? Oh, this huge spooky old house, I guess, and this old country. I'm being silly. Unhook my dress, dear. I should say you are being silly. Now, hold still. What's that? What? Outside in the hall. Listen. Sounds like footsteps. Footsteps of a lame man. Yes. It stopped outside our door. Well, I wonder who... Well, I haven't seen any lame servants about the place. Now the steps are passing on. Oh, why should they have stopped here? I'm going to see. No, no. Don't open that door. Judith, let me go. Don't open that door. What's the matter with you? Those steps came from where we saw that chest of bones from which a foot is missing. Hey! Hey, Let me in. Bert! Open the door. I've got to talk to you quickly. Why, what's wrong? Did you hear footsteps in this hall? Yes. They stopped outside this door and then went on. I didn't imagine it, but I didn't. Oh, what's wrong with you? Wasn't it one of your servants out there? A thing with a single foot. Did it sound to you like a living human? No, no. No, it didn't. Have you both gone crazy? I think I have. For ever since your wife's blood fell on those ghastly bones, I've been like a timid child in the dark. And since those footsteps came and went, I'm thinking terrified. Sure. Don't call me a fool. A coward, a man. I can't help it. I've got to see others walking in this hall. Bert, come back here. He's running towards that tower. Your man's out of his mind. You've got to stop him. It was from there those footsteps came. Oh, those footsteps won't hurt him, but he's liable to fall through a hole in those rotten floors without a light. I'll get him. Harry, don't leave me. Nothing's going to hurt you. Call the servants. 
Tell him to bring lanterns. I'll never be able to find Bert in this infernal blackness. Bert! Bert! Yes! Yes! Arkham! Arkham! Peter! Peter! Come here, quick! I've got to see Judy. I've got to know that she's all right. Wait, did you hear that? What? I heard a door close. Back in the old North Tower. Why? I thought I did, too. That's where Eric had his laboratory. Where he went to still their magic. Well, if we did hear a door, I'll not believe a dead hand closed it. What a fool I was to leave Judy. Oh, she'll be all right. Don't pay any heed to my imbecile hysteria, old man. Go on, here's the passage that leads to the lighted hall. You can see your door from here. Yeah. It's standing open where I left it. Judy probably has the servants with her now. Judith! Judy, dear! I found Bert and brought him back! Judith, why don't you answer me? Judith! Judith! She's up here! The room's empty! Good Lord! What are you staring at, Bert? What? Look! Impressed in this carpet! This, this is the footprint of a skeleton! Of a single bony foot! That door we heard closed! Judith! Quick to the tower, man! The tower! to waste, my dear. Soon thy husband and the present master of this house will note thy absence and seek thee in this laboratory. But there is time enough. <laughs> there, there is time enough for that which thou wilt do. What must I do? First, first thou must prepare an altar to my master. <laughs> for fear of the curse, they have left this chamber quite unchanged. In the scrollwork of yonder, bridge on the road, thou will find a carven serpent. I press. A pillar opens. Put thy hand inside and draw forth two black candles. Black. <laughs> black for the worship of my master. Now, place, place them here. Place them here. They are placed. Now, now from the sacred cupboard, take the tinder box and light them. Oh, my hands. Oh, Satan. They're still useless for thy work. They are hands of the dead. And have no strength, no power. But thou hast restored my will. Hast 
given me the means for my hands. Soon by her death, <laughs> thou shalt give me back my life, old The candles are lighted. Bring forth yon earthen basin now, and the flask, the flask that lies beside it. <laughs> Unstop the flask and pour its contents in the bowl. It's the holy oil of hell. <laughs> oil from fat of newborn babes. <laughs> place it here. Place it here between the candles. Now, now from the cupboard, take yon keen-edged knife, and with it in thy hand, recline upon the altar. Thou, thou art to be the sacrifice. <laughs> Why did thy husband come? But he will be too late. Why wouldn't I do it? Don't do it. I will not. I thou on the altar. I do as you command. I heard a voice. He's in there. The clock. The dead is in there too. The dead shall soon be alive. Warm blood shall enter his bones and the flesh again. He means murder. Raise thy knife, woman, and strike it to thy heart. Oh, 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 raise not his voice. Obey it, sir. Obey oh, me. Oh, listen to me. Now strike. Strike that knife into your heart, I say. No, no. Thou didst give me from this woman. Make her give me all the flame within her veins. No! Oh, oh, whatever! I call on hell! Strike, woman! Strike! I, I obey. dumb bullets in that pistol were made by cutting a cross upon the notebook. A cross? Yes, a cross. The sign of heaven. We must get out of here and rouse the servants. 
Those flames can't be stopped now. But soon this house will fall as old Eric prophesied. Wait. Listen. The clock is striking. Midnight. The devil's day is over. Chick Injector Razor, made by Eversharp, manufacturers of Eversharp Chick Injector Razors and Blades, and famous Eversharp Precision Writing Instruments. Hideous things come out of the darkness to prowl the tortured earth. Evil hands stretch forth to seize. Evil eyes are watching. Unholy voices whisper and quarrel in the fearful silence. Death stalks. Loathsome, horrible death. Dare you put out your lights and listen to Boris Karloff in the story of horror in the deepening darkness? Dare you listen to... Lights out! I'm glad you brought up the question of ethics, Ed. Sometimes I think science is too ethical. Stands in the way of research. Mm, I don't know, David. Take your work, for example. It's wonderful, but you have to be very cautious. I think working with monkeys is about as far as you should go right now. Oh, but, Ed, David has passed that stage. Why not show Ed the one you worked on today, darling? If you'd like to see it, Ed, it's right in the lab. Yes, I would. I saw it last night after you injected the poison. <laughs> I'll get it, David. Thank you, dear. It's in the second cage. Mm, Ruth's a wonderful girl, David. Must be a big help to you in your work. Don't know what I do without her. But if she ever gets too interested in pure science, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going I'm going to lock her out of the lab and just make her go back to being a wife. <laughs> How do you find time for a wife? Now look here. All you practicing surgeons think of the research man is a machine. Not me, Ed. Ruth means more to me than all the discoveries I might make. Her happiness is all I live and work for. Well, I can't say that I blame him. She's a very charming person. Here he is. Same one you saw last night, Ed. Stone dead. And there he is, just as healthy and alive as any other monkey. Why, it's amazing, David. Naturally, I've followed all the experiments along this line, but you seem to have progressed much farther. David can't go any farther with animals. He's ready for the next step. And he can do it. Well, I'm all for research, David. But you have a moral obligation in this sort of thing. 
How do you know it'll work with human beings? Oh, you're a surgeon yourself, Ed. You know that human beings are animals just like all the subjects I've used. I know it'll work. Well, knowing it won't get you far with society, you'll have to submit proof. I know that. And I've tried every way I can think of to get a human being to demonstrate on. He's tried insane asylums, penitentiaries, everywhere. No one will listen to me. Well, in a way, you can't blame him. Even to me, with my training, the idea seems, well... Blasphemous. My dear Ed, you can't stop scientific progress because of a so-called moral concept. Besides, what could be left blasphemous than a triumph over death? <laughs> I'm sorry, but I can't see it that way. I wouldn't want to try it on me. When I'm dead, I want to stay dead. Oh, that foolish Ed. Well, if I die first, I want David to use me for a subject. Ruth, don't look so startled, Ed. She's always been my strongest supporter. But I'm not going to use her as a subject. I like her too well as a wife. <laughs> Still, it gives me the shivers to hear you talk that way, Ruth. Why? I've seen David's work grow to where the technique is perfect. Before long, his experiments will be recognized by the whole medical world. And if I can help him achieve that goal, I'm willing to do anything. Living or dead. I mean it. She wanted to do it, Ed, living or dead. David, you're surely not going to hold it to that. Not now. Of course I am. She meant it. But I called you over here tonight, Ed, because I need help. Don't tell me that. But I want you to help me bring Ruth's... To bring her here? That's exactly what I mean. David... Will you help me? Or must I bribe some stranger? David, why don't you give this thing up? It's, it's inhuman. Ed, if I succeed, I'll have Ruth back. Don't you see how much it means? Well, yes, if you're successful. Oh, I've no doubt about that. Look, I've got my laboratory record. 714 times I've performed the experiment on guinea pigs, rabbits, monkeys. 714 times it's been successful. Don't you see? But, David, this is no laboratory experiment. Ruth was your wife. She is my wife. The only woman I ever loved. That's why I want to bring her back here and start her breathing and living again. There's an ugly name for what you're asking me to do, David. I know. Grave robbery. But there's a better name for it, Ed. Death robbery. We'll rob old man death. the door shut. Uh, on the operating table. I must say you are completely equipped. It's surgery, just as well as a lab. Everything we need is here. Uh, well, it's done. Not yet. You mean you want me to stay? Ed, listen. Ever since Ruth... Well, I guess I've leaned on you for everything. I won't ask you to stay, but I do need you. Just a little longer. All right, David. 
I'll stay. Ruth will be the first to thank you when we succeed. David, I'll always doubt this until I see Ruth living, breathing, smiling again. It won't be long. Just a matter of 15 or 20 minutes. If nothing happens. What will you do if your operation doesn't work? Then you'll have just one more job to do as my friend. And that? Will be to bury both of us. Oh, now, look, David. If Ruth isn't alive again within a few minutes, I'll have lost her forever. And I'll have proved that my whole life's work is useless. I'll have reason enough to use any of a dozen tricks that any good surgeon knows. End the whole business. Oh, but don't look so horrified, Ed. We won't fail. Let's begin. I should remind you once more, David, that you're usurping powers that belong to God Almighty. I like to think that Providence has wisely held back the knowledge of things like this until we knew how to use them. And I know how. Hand me that large beaker. All right. I'm not going to back out on you, David. What shall I do? Do. You'll work as you haven't worked in surgery before. Thank heavens I've got your skill on my side. Now then, first strap the spigot manometer on her arm. I just happened to think of something. Keep moving. This is all a matter of timing. Yeah, but, David... Here are your instruments. And I want the incision right here where I'm shaving the hair. Make a small incision just at the fontanelle while I prepare the solution. David, have you considered... Please work fast. But, Dave, what? She was embalmed, you know. Of course I know that. I have something to replace the blood and, and counteract the fluid. It's ghastly. Finish the cut. I know what I'm doing. Well, that's all for the incision, but after all... work, nice. Now cut away the dura mater. Entirely? Leave the brain exposed? Yes, yes, I'll fix that. I've done it 700-odd times. This is no guinea pig or monkey. Well, I hardly need reminding. Sorry. What's that? The compound I've synthesized myself. What is it? I call it digamma-paradiamine. Oh, I know that isn't chemically correct. It's as close as I can get to it. I knew that something like it must exist. It took three years to track it down. It took me that long to make the first drop of it. You know what you're doing, all right? Yes, I do. Now, then, if you're finished, take the leads from that storage battery there and attach the positive to the silver plate on the shelf. Put that at her feet. I feel as if I were doing something unholy. Place the tip of the negative in the incision you made in the skull. Be sure the tip of the wire actually, actually penetrates the pyamata. David, what if you bring her back? I will bring her back. But what if you bring her back and find she comes back without her soul? What? Her soul? Yes. You're a surgeon, and you believe in a soul? Well, I hesitate to say there is no such thing. You've seen a good many deaths, haven't you? Have you ever seen any evidence that the soul escapes at death? Perhaps I couldn't recognize the evidence. Put it this way, then. If there is any soul, it either leaves the body or stays with it at death. Now, no reputable surgeon or physician has ever been able to report the slightest evidence of the soul's having left the body. So, the soul, if there is a soul, must stay with the body, a part of it. I'm ready now. If you've finished. Everything's set. Good. Close that switch, then, at the battery. Watch the meter and keep the current between plus and minus five of 150. There's a rheostat on the edge of the table. All right? All right. Now, I'm going to inject 10 cc's of adrenaline in the brachial artery. Adrenaline? Adrenaline and something else. 
God, she's beautiful, Ed. Yes. She was. She is. You'll see her in a few minutes, just as she was. I wonder what you'll have to tell us. Nothing. Death is only a transcendental sleep. Do you really believe that? Oh, well, what's the difference? How's the current? Let's see. What? Let's jump to 180. Good. Bring it back to 150. That's the result of the injection. On a dead body? Let's say suspended animation. There are still a few things in surgery you don't know, aren't there? I never dreamed of a reaction like that. I'll show you more. Help me swing this lamp over here. But let the Anita go. It'll hold steady for a minute now. But if I jump again... No, it won't. I've been all through this before. The reactions are exactly the same as the others. Well, this lamp... X-rays? No, it's a modification of the cathode ray. And just another of my developments. I call these atheta rays. Why do you call them that? Well, most rays are named for the first few letters in the Greek alphabet. Alpha, beta, gamma, and so on. Well, that explains theta. Didn't you say atheta? Yes. But theta was called the letter of death by the ancient Greeks. Well, that's right. It was the first letter in the word thanatos. Death. Yeah, I see. A theta without death. <laughs> Maybe I was too sentimental. Maybe. At least human for once. Let's not argue. Here goes the ray. Now, quickly. The solution. Inject it? No, pump it. I built this pump especially for it. There's the pump switch, Ed. Here? Yeah. Turn it on and watch the ammeter. Okay. It's jumping. How far? 155. Let it go. 160. 170. Hold it there. It'll stay there now. Listen carefully. Yes. As soon as I turn off the pump, I want spigma readings. But there won't be any blood pressure. Wait and see. Give me a reading each time I ask for it and take them carefully. Are you ready? That's fantastic. I'm ready. Okay. Reading. Systolic zero. Diastolic zero. That's all right. It will take a few seconds. Now. Forty. My God. Diastolic. Hurry. Zero. My orbit valve is still open. I'll turn off the ray. Reading. Forty-eight. Over forty-two. David, not yet. Now the stopwatch. Seven seconds after I say go, I want the systolic. Now you have it? Right. Ready. Now, go. Just a few more minutes. All right, Ed. Now the ray again. We'll know the answer very soon. The second act of Lights Out, starring Boris Karloff, will follow in just a moment. 
But now, listen to the sweetest shaving song ever written. Push, pull, click, click. Changes blades that quick. Push, pull, click, click. With the Eversharp Chick Injector Razor, yes, it clicks for men everywhere. Because the Eversharp Chick Injector Razor is the world's one and only razor with the automatic blade changer. No blades to unwrap. Fingers never touch the blade. Just push, pull, click, click. And a keen new blade is automatically locked in correct shading position instantly. It clicks because the Eversharp Chick Injector Razor makes shaving 50% faster, 100% safer, 200% smoother. Just try the Eversharp Chick Injector Razor for one week. See for yourself the difference. It's a $1.75 value. Special now, only $1.25, complete with 20 blades. For the shave of your life, the rest of your life, switch to an Eversharp Chick Injector Razor. Get yours tomorrow. Push, pull, click, click. Buy an Eversharp Chick. How long do you use the ray this time, David? Not long. Give me a reading. 68. Over 67. Now. 70. Diastolic. 68. Now. David. 118. 76. Close. Now. 120. That's it. 80. The stethoscope. Quick. I can tell. Respiration's normal. Pulse just a tiny bit fast. And reflexes slow, but apparently all right. David, I... I feel I must apologize to you. Apologize? Why? Well, for doubting you, I suppose. <laughs> You'll learn to believe me. Very calm in the face of all this. Do you realize that you've performed a miracle? A miracle? I brought my wife back to me. As I promised her. It's... It's an unholy thing, but... But we've conquered death. Is that unholy? We have conquered death. May God forgive us. She'll only wait now. How long has she been asleep? Let me see. Eleven hours. Hasn't spoken at all? Not since that first scream, when she fell asleep. Have you given her anything? Just a few cups of brandy. Have you tried to wake her? No, but I think I'll try now. Oh, wait a minute before you do. Why? Well, I hate to keep harping on this business about a soul, David, I realize this is no place for a philosophic discussion, but I can't help wondering why Ruth screamed when she first came back to life. I think there's a logical explanation. After all, it must have been a physical shock. Well, that's true. It must also be true that there was a great mental shock involved. I think that's why she screamed, and 
I'm wondering whether there's been a permanent effect on her mind. Or as I prefer to think of it, her soul. Oh, you're simply bothering trouble, Ed. I've never seen any sign of permanent damage in my other experiments. Don't forget that Ruth was a human being. Well, there's only one way to find out. I'm going to wait. You're not afraid? Afraid? Of what? Ruth. Ruth. Wake up, darling. Ruth, dear, it's David speaking. Wake up, dearest. Ruth. Ruth. Ah! Oh, darling. No wonder it's scared a poor girl. Ruth, it's it's David, dear. I kept my promise and you're alive again. Oh, you're all right, honey. It's David, you're you're Ruth. Ruth. David. David, what's the matter? Ruth. Oh, David, you'd better go out for a little exercise now. I'll stay here with her. I'll stay while you go out and walk around a bit. You've been there with us since 8 o'clock last night without any letter. Go on, I'll stay. Ed. I know, old boy. I'd give anything myself if we could undo what we've done, but... Ed, what could I do? Well, there may be something. Let's try an experiment when she wakes up again. What kind of an experiment? Well, let's see if we can talk to her, get her to say anything. If we can get a flicker of intelligence, maybe we can teach her, build up from a small fragment. Maybe it might work. I'm going to wake her up and try it. Well, not now. Why don't you take a walk? Relax a little and get something to eat while you're out. Eat, I can't eat. I'm going to wake her. Ruth... Ruth. David, why not let her sleep? She's waking up now. Ruth. Hello, Ruth. Are you waking up? Poor child. Poor child. There. She repeats after me. A little. Maybe it will work, Ed. Ruth. David. It works. Seems to. Ruth, say I want a glass of water. <laughs> I want a glass of water. Uh, it's too long for a... Ruth. Say, Ruth... Ruth. Loves... Ruth. David. David. <laughs> Ruth loves David. Ruth loves David. Ruth loves David. Ruth loves David. It's working, eh? Maybe. But what is she thinking? I don't know. No, no. Stop it. Wait a minute, old man. Too much for you, tired as you are. Go on out and take a little walk and I'll work with you for a while. Your nerves won't take much of this. I guess you're right, Ed. I can't take it anymore. I'll be right there. Fine, fine. I'll take good care of you and see what I can find out. Be patient. Don't worry. And you get something to eat while you're out. All right, I'll try. Poor guy, this is really rough on him. Rough on him! Ruth! Kidding ourselves, there's nothing there. She's a parrot. Parrot! Never mind, Ruth. Ruth! Put down that scalpel! Don't hurt yourself! Ruth! Stay away! Don't put it down! Think of David! Oh! <laughs> 
For God's sake, what happened? Ruth. Scalpel. I'll get something and fix you right up. Wait. No use. Now, look. Doctor. Artery. No hope. Ed. All right, Doctor. Your diagnosis is correct. A minute or two left. Who's hiding? Watch out. No. No soul. She'll kill you, too. What have I done, Ed? Everything I've done is wrong. Wonderful technique, Doctor. Congratulations. What about soul? Ed. Ed. Ruth. She's somewhere in the house. What if she gets out with a scalpel in her hands? There's been enough damage. Ruth! Ruth! Basement. I'd better take a gun. busy in the lab. No. No, there's nothing new. Just an experiment. No. Like so many experiments, it, it just didn't work out. Sharp Shake has just presented Boris Karloff in the first of the new series of mystery and terror stories, Lights Out. In just a moment, we'll tell you about next week's story. But first, no matter what kind of razor you use now, here's a challenge. There's a better, easier, faster way to shave. Eversharp Schick Injector Razor has banished forever 90% of the nuisance that makes shaving such a chore. Ends nuisance number one, no time wasted. Eversharp Chick Injector Razor has been proved at least 50% faster. Ends nuisance number two. It's safer. Patented guard bar prevents skin irritation, even under nose. Eversharp Chick shaves clean and smooth without skin irritation. 
Ends nuisance number three. Nothing to take apart or put together. World's easiest razor to clean. Just rinse, shake, put away. Ends nuisance number four. No blades to unwrap. Fingers never touch the blade. Just push-pull, click-flick. Because Eversharp Shicks, the world's one and only razor with the automatic blade changer that locks a keen new blade, the world's sharpest blade, in correct shaving position instantly. Yes, it's 50% faster, 100% safer, 200% smoother. So, for the world's quickest, easiest, cleanest shave, change to Eversharp Schick Injector Razor. It's a $1.75 value, but special now for only $1.25, complete with 20 blades. Buy yours tomorrow. Next week, Lights Out will bring you a story about the undead, the vampires who are doomed to wander alone through all eternity, seeking the blood of innocent ones. Be sure to listen next Wednesday night at the same time. Lights Out is produced and directed by Bill Lawrence. The script is by Paul Pierce and Willis Cooper. This is Ken Niles speaking for Eversharp, manufacturers of Eversharp chicken injector razors and blades, and famous Eversharp precision writing instruments. For birthdays, weddings, anniversaries, and business gifts, remember the best gift of all is an Eversharp CA pen. Buy yours tomorrow during the sensational Eversharp CA pen sale. Buy now and save as much as 60%. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Well... That is our show for tonight. I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror1970 or you can find me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd. Or if you want to drop me a line, say hello, make a suggestion, a request, a even a critique, respectfully, please feel free to email me at Radio Show Nerd at gmail.com. I do have a YouTube channel, Terror Radio. Check it out. Like, subscribe, share the videos. Will be highly appreciated. Again, this is your host, Keith, better known as the Radio Show Nerd, loving my month of October and more spookiness to come, signing off.